Welcome to the second episode of Second Breakfast, an audio companion to the Second Breakfast newsletter, which explores the history of the future of food and fitness and, quote, wellness technologies. Here on the podcast, we look at our own stories of our bodies in motion and at rest. Today's guest is Lee scalarup Bassett, Assistant Director for Digital Learning at the Center for New Designs for Learning and Scholarship at Georgetown University, where she specializes in technology and pedagogy and collaborative learning. And I know, I know, I know, I said I was done with ed tech, but I think, I, I hope that if we adjust the lens slightly, we can see not only the ways in which the stories about tech shape our brains, um, but also shape our bodies. And we can look at the multitude of ways in which teaching and coaching work or, or, or fail to work in our day-to-day lives. Before we get into today's conversation, I do want to thank the paid subscribers to Second Breakfast who make this show, who make the newsletter possible. Among other things, I'm able to pay my guests for their time, which means a lot to me. Um, you can read Second Breakfast at secondbreakfast.substack.com. That's 2ndbreakfast.substack.com. This podcast is available <laughs> as soon as I get my act together with this indication via all of your favorite podcasting apps. But for sure right now, it's available on iTunes as well as on the Substack platform. Okay, so honestly, when I started this whole project, um, the whole second breakfast idea, I, I knew I wanted to talk to you about it because I just have so many thoughts and like unformed ideas about how coaching relates to and doesn't relate to teaching and the whole idea of being a progressive educator like, what does that look like um, for coaching? I think there's just like a lot to unpack. All of the fitness stuff and the tech stuff, it's like so much Skinnerism, right? And it's so much yeah. about training and conditioning. Of all the people, I knew that there were just like a handful of people that also think about these things. And so, yay, you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, then it's it's actually a really great question, and a lot of and I've, I have done a lot of thinking about that, and I don't know if I have a perfect answer because you know, like um, I was educated in the eighties and nineties, and I was swimming in the eighties and nineties, and the idea of what good teaching was then, and the idea of what good coaching was then, is very different than what it is now. Um, as background, I swam competitively for 13 years um, from the age of 8 to 19. Um, I tried to swim collegiately in Canada um, and just, I, you know, I couldn't do it anymore. Um, and then still love the sport and have been coaching off and on ever since. I did some master's swimming when I was doing my PhD, uh, which was fabulous. Um, and I've, I've coached masters, I've coached kids. I'm currently I'm coaching, uh, in Northern Virginia for a, a small swim team, um, up here. And, um, you know, so I have to do coaching certifications. Swimming is one of those ones where it's not just a background check, right? Like we have to take water safety. We have to take CPR. Yeah. We have to do a lot of work. 
And one of the things now is, is safe sport. The first time I did safe sport and the first time I've done some of these trainings was like, this is what abuse is, right? And they out outline every single one of them. And I was like, oh, I experienced every single one of these as a swimmer. And I know that, that friends of mine experienced it in other sports as well, right? If we were, where I grew up um, in the suburbs of Montreal, aquatics was huge. We had um, Olympic divers, we had Olympic swimmers, we had gold medal synchronized swimmers, we had um, tons of people on the national team. The current head of Swim Canada is where I'm from and was one of my colleagues. Um, the current head coach of water polo, same thing. The current head coach of Canada Swimming, uh, West Islander, right? That's what, what I grew up in. Um, um, it was uh, humiliation. It was body shaming. It was uh, breaking point. It was sexual harassment. It was, um, you know, all of all of that. like that was just how you coached, right? Or how you were coached. Um, but on, on the flip side of that, in order to become a swim instructor, in order to become a swim coach at that time, I actually had to take coaches uh, classes in pedagogy um essentially that's what it was yeah no i mean we had to learn how to um give good feedback mm -hmm. for swimming lessons how to organize a class what do you do for 30 minutes with different swimmers of different levels um there are skills you need to teach them and here's how you build skills and here's how you deal with different age groups and different levels and and not overloading and all of those kinds of things um and then so when i went into a, a classroom situation as a phd student i'd never had any pedagogy courses but i learned all this stuff from teaching swimming and, and taking these lessons you know five six seven years earlier and was like oh okay well here's how i plan a 50-minute session here's how i adjust my expectations here's how i build um but i was still in lecture mode because that's how i had been taught um and it it wasn't until you know i i'm you know, I, I, I may have been coached horribly, but I, as a swimmer, wanted to create the team environment where people wanted to come to practice. And so, and there's lots of reasons for that, um, you know, uh, more personally, it was because I made swim team my family, basically. And I was like, what is the family I want to be in? What is the kind of team I want to be on? And I worked really hard to make sure everybody was included, um, to make sure that um, the swimmers felt supported, even if we had just been treated like shit by our coach, right? Um, now we would call it gaslighting. I, I refuse to gaslight. Right. Like I would acknowledge that, like, yeah, that was a shitty thing. Um, and, you know, it wasn't perfect because I'm 15, you know, but uh, and I, I, you know, I fucked up as much as I, I did well as a 15 year old trying to be like, I'm trying to create this positive, inclusive environment um, because we were a small team. We were a small fish in a big pond. And so in a lot of cases, by the end of my career on the swim team, we were getting swimmers coming back to swim who had burnt out from other from other teams. 
because we had that reputation of being the least bad. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, and, and part of that was very, um, as purposeful as a 15 or 16 year old can be about something. Um, you know, I would organize team outings. Um, we would, we would, uh, you know, crash at my dad's place after Saturday morning practice to watch movies. Um, you know, we would, uh, make sure that, you know, everybody cheered for everybody else at swim meets. We made sure that, you know, um, it, you know, we didn't care what size you were. We didn't care what, uh, how fast you were, you know, everybody was welcome on our team and everybody was a valuable member of our team. Um, you this know, so interesting to me because I've been thinking a lot. I, I was just never, ever ever an athletic <laughs> kid at all part of it's my eyesight I mean I can't see like more than like a foot in front of my face um but swimming was something that I always really enjoyed got much better once I was in middle school and I got contacts and I could wear goggles yes but swimming yeah. was never a sport that frightened me even when I couldn't see in the pool and now that you're talking about this I I mean, it was so different than my experiences in PE. And part of that is that swimming yeah. lessons. I mean, any kind of lesson as like extracurricular thing, your parents are paying for it. There's a different kind of investment, literally, in the children. Um, it's a smaller setting. You know, there's never 35 kids in the no. swim no, it was but, like six was a lot. You had six little lot. ones. You're like, well, this is yeah. a lot. Let's, yeah, let's but maybe it, bring but it down to four. But it, it was just, you know, pedagogically like a very different experience than gym class at school, which was pretty much the worst part of my week, I would say. School so, and, oh, yeah. and worst part of school. And the reason I don't actually have a high school diploma is I needed two credits of PE to graduate high school. And I took swimming in high school. It's like, thank God I offer swimming. And then I never yes. took second, the second PE credit because I'm sorry, like, fuck that. Yeah. Second, the second PE credit because I'm sorry, like, fuck that. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, yeah I was, was, I was, yeah. yeah, I was terrible at PE as well. Like I am the most awkward person on land, which is actually kind of funny where um, uh, I, was, I later was diagnosed with ADHD. And it is very common for people with ADHD to have bad um, proprioception, like body yeah. knowledge. And like, even now I walk into walls, I misjudge where door frames are. I have no yeah. sense of balance and fall over really easily. Um, you know, and I, you know, I would, you know, I was a distance swimmer. I was working out 30 hours a week between weight training and swimming and other kinds of cross training that we would be doing on dry land, as we called it. Um, and I could barely pass any of the uh, any of the PE, the the beat the beep, as we call it, which they still do. Um, shocks me. Um, the pacer test, they call it. We call it beat the beep. Um, you know, I, I couldn't do it. Um, we bought a house when I was very young or very small. I think the pool in the back was not uncommon for where we lived. And so my mom was just like, she's got to learn to swim, right? Like, this is this is not like, we're not expecting anything from this. This is just, we go to the lake, we have a pool, you need to know how to swim. 
and like, all right, and you know, whatever. And I, um, uh, because we were such a hotbed for aquatics and for swimming, we actually had an opportunity to not do like those Red Cross ones, which was part life saving, part like elementary backstroke and side stroke and like just yeah. like weirdness. It's, it's we had um, Clifford Berry, who is a huge name in Canadian swimming and just swimming in general, had just moved to the area and introduced the Olympic way, as they called it. So it was very much focused on strokes and all of that kind of stuff. And, you know, that's what she signed me up for. And um, I took to it and they were like, she is a prodigious swimmer. Um, she is amazing. Um, uh, you know, she's she's going to be a really good swimmer. You need to sign her up for swim team. Um, and I loved it. Right. I loved it. The, um, the On the flip side of that, because I was seen as this like natural swimmer. Um, you know, and, and combined with the, the poor proprioception is that I didn't progress very much because it was just like, oh, she can swim. So make her swim. And so it made me swim. And there was no, and then when I did get stroke correction, I didn't understand it. You know, I could do, I, and, and again, it, it's, it's that body awareness and, and realizing this after the fact, it's also really informed how I teach in terms of that progressiveness is that not everyone's going to get it. But when I'm swimming, they would like engage your core. And I'd be like, I don't know what that means, right? Like the, a, a sit up, like this is not, I'm like this in the water, not like this. And you can't see this because it's a podcast, but like I'm stretched out in the water lengthwise. And for me, engaging my core is to make myself smaller, scrunched up because that's how you engage it. And so it was, you know, just being told the same message over and over again engage your core, engage your core, make a high catch, make a high catch. And you're just, and I was just like, isn't that what I'm doing? Um, and so very much something that's informed me now is, you know, and, and I only realized I was doing it wrong when I became a master. So I was like, oh, that's what it meant. Oh, that's what we were talking about. But no one tried to explain it to me any differently. So that there was, that, that's yeah. another thing that I take into both my teaching and my coaching in terms of I don't know if you'd call it, I, I guess you would call it progressive, is just really thinking about ways to engage, to have swimmers or students engage with things in different kinds of ways so that they can get a better understanding of what. So like a drill might work for some swimmers, but might not work for others. So you have to kind of find that drill or find the way to describe what you want them to do that clicks for them um and 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 same thing with teaching you have to sort of find that way to describe or to give entry to something that makes sense to them um and then and also just you know uh, another one that i is that you know what it's okay if you're not an olympian it's okay if you never make nationals it's okay if you don't go to a d1 school or a d3 school it's okay um, if you don't go on to get a PhD, it's okay if you're never going to major in whatever it is that I happen to be teaching. Right? And most of us, how can I make this? You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm as well, a runner. You know, now it's like I'm never going to win. I'm never going to win a race. Like I don't. I don't. Yeah. Um, it's all. It's all participation trophies, right? It's not. <laughs> there, you know. But I think if there's, you have, still have to be able to find joy in your body. 
But also I think yeah. for me, it's like the joy in the improvement and joy in the practice and also figuring out what my body can do. And I don't know that you can actually do that if, if the coaching is toxic, right? Yeah. You can't actually uncover your own strength if you're being told that, you know, you're not good enough, you're not thin enough, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and that was, you know, uh, it, that's, that's, it. that was always a huge component and it's, it's really funny. Um, not funny, haha, but I, I was probably the least negatively impacted by it. And again, I think that has something to do with my neurodivergence, but also the fact that I love to eat so much, but may also be a part of my neurodivergence because ADHD means you don't have enough dopamine. And one good way to get a dopamine hit is to eat good food. Um, and swimmers are also notoriously always hungry. Like we're yeah. always hungry. Swimmers can out eat just about anyone. Um, and you know, cause I, I was getting those messages, you know, I was getting those messages at swimming. I was getting those messages, you know, from the media. I was getting mm -hmm. those messages in high school. I was even getting, you know, those messages, uh, you know, at home. Um, and yet I almost stubbornly was like, just refused. I was just like, no, I'm just going to keep eating. Like you tell me to eat less. I'm just going to eat more, which is probably also not healthy, but, <laughs> but because I was swimming, I could get away with it. Now, once I stopped swimming, it, it was a little more problematic, um, because I'd never learned how to, I'd never learned how to really listen to my body. I never learned how to um, you know, differentiate. And, and again, having ADHD makes this extraordinarily difficult. We're, we're bad at listening to our body in any way, shape or form. Um, hunger, pain, um, tolerance, like just threshold, we'll just keep going. Um, but, but again, like there was no conversations around those things. Um, and, you know, so it's, so it became, you know, it became a different kind of issue around food, um, not a catastrophic one, um, thankfully. And, and, and I was really, you know, I knew I was never going to be thin. Um, I was, this is, you know, um, my mother is very tall and very thin and was a ballerina and a high jumper and a track athlete and a basketball player. And, you know, to, to, to her credit, um, you know, I, I, I came out and was not any of those things. Um, you know, I was not tall. I was not thin. I was not graceful. Um, I was not coordinated. Um, and so she, you know, when I expressed an interest in swimming, which she was doing to, you know, just like, I don't want you to drown. She was like, great, this is what you're going to do that. If this is what you want to do, I'm, you know, she did, she didn't try to force any of her activities on me. Um, it was just like, you want to swim, swim. And if I'd said I'd wanted to dance, she would have signed me up for dance. If I'd said I'd wanted to play basketball for some bizarre reason, she would have, you know, she signed me up for that. I mean, I tried soccer and I tried baseball because everybody did that. But like at the end of the day, it was like, no, I'm going to swim. She's like, great, swim. Um, so, so, it, so in that sense, it was good. So as a coach now, do you find yourself, I mean, how do you navigate, I think the messages for your athletes now, but also how do you navigate 
the parental messages too. Cause it's one, you know, you've got to like, you have to help your athletes understand that they have to eat. Um, yep. which I don't think is a message that girls in particular do not get the message that they need to eat. Um, and, but then also parents bring a lot of that crappy anti-fat bias to the table as well. I mean, for a lot of reasons, like that's almost the rationale for why we do sports. Uh, mm-hmm. I volunteered last year with a youth running group is the amount of anti-fat bias was like the reason that you want your kid to run is so that they aren't fat. I'm like, wow, no, like that's, you know, so how do you, how do you navigate that as a coach? Um, I think one of the things I'm really lucky is that um, I prefer to coach the younger kids. Basically, they hit middle school, and I don't want to have anything to do with them anymore because I'm just like, mm, I can't take this energy. This is not – I'm little kid energy. I am, like, yeah. 10 and under energy. I am not middle school energy um, at all. And and and, it, and it's also because I am more of a technician than I am and, – and more of a teacher, I guess. Yeah, where, you know, um, I am like, we're going to work on these skills, kind of like the parts that I enjoyed the most and the parts that I was trained in, but I'm actually good at it, too, is how can I create a base on which you can have a had solid techniques and all of your strokes so that when you move on from me and start doing actual yardage, actual training, actual pushing that you'll have a good base. You're not going to injure yourself. You're going to, you know, I'm, I'm going to set you up well. I don't do garbage yardage, as we call it. So um, so it's a lot of 25s. It's a lot of, you know, just uh, drilling. It's a lot of um, that kind of stuff. And also just to keep them enjoying it, right? I try really mm-hmm. hard that too, to instill that kind of passion for it so it remains fun for them. And so we don't talk a lot about food, right? I'm not tremendously, you know, if anybody was showing up and, and being, you know, sometimes we have to have a conversation around, okay, well, if you're not feeling well and, and our practice is at an awkward time, like we train from seven to eight o'clock. And so it's like, have they eaten dinner ahead of time or are they eating yeah. dinner afterwards? Right. Is what time is everyone coming home from work? What time is school over? What time is bedtime? You know, so sometimes there's conversations around, well, maybe you need to eat something before you come to practice. Um, and change up a schedule that way. Not because they're not eating. It's just that like, they don't know what the routine is yet. Right. Cause they've never done this before. I'm dealing with swimmers who are swam in the summertime, like recreationally, but this is the first time they're coming to like, we're going to practice for an hour, two or three times a week. Right. Like this is a big shift, um, often for them in terms of effort yeah. level, in terms of scheduling, yeah. in terms of all that. I'm more concerned, not about the food, to be honest, but how overscheduled all these kids are. Oh my God. That's um, so true. That's, that's where, that's where I'm, um, that's where I'm, I'm really concerned uh, more on those lines, at least with the, like I said, with the kids, I right. Yeah. And we don't talk about, you know, I'm very, um, I don't talk about bodies in terms of like shapes or sizes. I talk about them in terms of what they can do. Um, if any of the swimmers are engaging in that kind of dialogue, and usually at that age, it is less about themselves and more about projecting onto mm-hmm. other people. I put a stop to that immediately. Um, you know, and we have a conversation around, again, we have, we want to focus on what our bodies can do, not what they look like. Um, 
And um, thankfully, we, because we're a small team, again, I'm, once again, I find myself on a small, I worry, a small fist in a massive pond. Aquatic yes. is huge here in Northern Virginia. It is ridiculous. Yes. Um, Very well-known so swimmers, we, I believe, yes. in Virginia. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, in, in from this area. But, um, you know, the, we you can bring back Olympians, a lot of swimmers with NCAP, which is the nation's capital aquatics program, I think, which has sites all over D.C., um, Maryland and the DMV, as we call it, the, and, and Northern Virginia, they're huge. They're, they're massive. They're one of the top teams in the country. Um, and then, a, you know, a lot of other ones. It's, and so we're a small one. Um, uh, we're a very small one. And, and again, we are known for, um, being patient, being understanding, being supportive. We have a lot of neurodivergent swimmers on our team who would probably not make it on other, on other bigger teams. Um, we have a lot of um, very different body sizes. We, have, we are um, not the most racially diverse, but certainly um, up there when it comes to uh, racial diversity, which swimming is extraordinarily white. Yes. Yeah. Um, for very historic racist reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh which is a whole other topic and um you know and I, and I like that and so like we are a team where um and the head coach is fantastic for this too like you know um if if this stuff is happening um we can deal with the swimmers but like if if and then we can get the parents involved but if the parents are part of the cause of this we'll say sorry you're not a fit for this team yeah Um, not because you're not fast enough, not because you're not strong enough, not because you're not, but because you're not being a good teammate. Um, and you are, um, introducing toxic elements, uh, into our team and our team environment. And we, we're not going to put up with that. Um, so it's, it's, it's really nice that we have a team where we are all moving in the same direction. We all agree on the philosophy. Um, I think all the coaches, we were all the same kind of swimmer. We were like, we loved swimming. We weren't very, we were okay at it. I'm not going to say not very good at it. We were okay at it. But really, we loved the team. We loved the atmosphere. We loved being in the water. And that's why we still coach. Not because, you know, and if we get great swimmers who go on and do fabulous things, wonderful. We're happy for them. But we're just as happy for everyone else on the team. Yeah. I I think that, I mean, this is one of the things that can be so damaging is when we have these traumatic experiences as kids around physical activity, we kind of make, we sort of double down on like, well, I'm never going to, not just physical activity, any kind of educational activity too. You know, we double down, like, well, I'm never going to, I'm never going to go to the gym ever again. You know, I'm never going to run, swim, whatever. And I think that that's, it does real long-term damage to people's confidence and people's own understanding about their ability, um, their ability to do things. Yeah. So, and, and again, even like for me, like I said, like I never considered myself athletic. Like I was, a, it, it, it's this weird, like I was a swimmer, not an athlete. Right, which is a bizarre sort of differentiation to make, but like outside of the water, I'd have my I'd have asthma attacks, 
Um, you know, my knees are wonky, so I can't really run. It hurts a lot. Like, and you know, and I, I've done very real physical damage to myself after all the overtraining I've done too, which makes yeah. other kinds of physical activity hard. Um, but I mean, I was always terrible at running. Um, you know, as like all of it, it's like in elementary school, everyone was a figure skater or a ballerina. Except me. <laughs> um, so you aren't currently swimming, you're coaching, but not swimming. So how do you stay, how do you manage to stay sort of a fan or are you still, do you think a fan of the sport? I am probably a bigger fan now than I was when I was a swimmer. Um, I just understanding the mechanics of it and also just like the camera angles you get, like that you, that you just didn't have when I was, you know, yeah. it was an overhead cam. You'd watch the Olympics. It was an overhead camera. They'd go back and forth. You'd be like, great. And it was kind of grainy. But now you've got like the underwater cameras. It's HD. It's, you know, 1080p. Like you can see the details. And I mean, I, I, I would say and it might drives my family crazy because it's the Olympics. And I'm like, we're watching swimming. And they're like, oh God, really? And, and, and I would just be watching like Michael Phelps and watching his butterfly it would make my heart hurt because it, to me, it was so beautiful. It was so technically perfect and flawless that he made it look so easy. And if you've ever swam butterfly, you know that it is not easy. I've never it is learned a terribly it hard. So hard. Yeah. It's so hard. And it's, it's body control, it's timing, it's strength, but it's also flexibility. Like it is one of, it is the most physically challenging of the strokes. But if you get it right, oh, it just works. Um, and so like I can, I can watch this and appreciate it and, and, and sit there and, and see like, okay, how are they doing this? Why are they doing this? You know, what's what's changed what are they you know looking at underwaters how are they doing it how's it so i can i can really get into the finer details of what they're doing in their races to kind of understand like um all of that kind of, like just all of that sort of detail oriented stuff like there's like they're swimming fast and you know you watch katie ledecky and she's you know nobody else is in the screen with her during the 800 or the 1500 right like there's like here's katie ledecky and here's everybody else they're a full 50 if not 75 behind her she's just chugging along um and you look at her splits and you're just like how do you even do that how do you do that for you know 13 minutes um you know, so that so there's 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 that appreciation, but then it, you know you can also, you know, the with the with the with social media, you can get so many more ideas about about coaching and about training, and like you know, um, I I can't do breaststroke, um, just phys physiology wise, I'm knock kneed and my they turn in, and that's exactly the opposite of yeah. what you need to be able to do for breaststroke, which is to turn out. Um, and so, like, I understand it technically, but because I was never really able to do it physically very well, I have a really hard time then trying to explain it. And so, like, being able to find drills to be able to, to be like, oh, okay, here's a way that I can, oh, or, or even I wish somebody had explained breaststroke to me this way, because maybe then it would have made sense. Um, yeah. Like, something clicks. It's like, other than my kneecaps when I do it. Um <laughs> 
why don't do it? Um, and and so there's, you know, one of the things actually circling back. Here's my ADHD kicking in. Circling back about um, that that comment about food or that comment about um, even like I was saying, people with ADHD are really bad at listening to your, their bodies, and we were never taught to do that. So that's actually the big lesson that I try to instill with my swimmers, right? Is differentiating, um, trying to give them language and 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 the the awareness of their bodies to be able to advocate, basically advocate for themselves. One thing about Michael Phelps in particular, I think. And just in general, I'm fascinated by the way in which sports help us have conversations, help us normal people have conversations. So Phelps has been really interesting, I think, for talking about mental health. Um, And so do you have any thoughts on either like the mental health piece of swimming for you or how or, you know, just the way in which these sports kind of help us move forward politically? So swimming is, despite being a team sport, um, an extraordinarily solitary activity. Yes. Like I can't swim by myself. I can't swim by myself anymore. Like I need to be on a team. And that's one of the reasons why I don't swim right now is because I can't swim by myself because it is quiet, which Mm -hmm. is nice but also really hard. Yeah. Right. And it's only recently that you could, you know, really pay a lot of money for a set of headphones that, that are on your bone to be able to listen to music because Bluetooth doesn't work. Right. And like everything was too bulky and it's still out of that. You could listen to music while you swim. And particularly if you're swimming over long distances, right. These sets are an hour long of just back and forth. That's why swimmers are very special people because it's just back and forth and back and forth. And it's a line on the bottom of the pool or it's a line on the ceiling that you just stare at. Um, And it it becomes very mechanical because at a certain point at a certain level, and even I was at that level, you take almost exactly the same amount of strokes per length, right? Per 25 yards or meters or 50. And so your body even knows without looking that it's time to do a flip turn that it's time to. And so you can very easily go on autopilot. Yeah. Um, And then what does your mind do? Well, it wanders. Um, And sometimes that can be a good thing, um, but often that can be a bad thing, depending on, again, what is going on around you. Um, You know, all of that comes in as one of the things that I had a hard time doing was leaving stuff outside of the pool, outside of the pool. I bring that all with me into the pool. And so because of that, you know, because of, you don't always have to watch the ball. You don't always have to watch what everybody else is doing. Um, At a certain point, um, you know, if you're seven in a lane, then yes, you have to pay attention to everyone and make sure you're going five seconds apart and who's passing whom and what's pace and why are you touching my feet? And I got to make sure I don't hit anyone. But like, if you're just like in a zone where it's like you and one or two other people in your lane and like, okay, we're going to do this set for the next 45 minutes. Like you just, you know, what, what do you do? Um, and I think that swimming in particular, we've been hearing that, hearing about it a lot can be very dangerous mentally 
Yeah. Um, just because you are alone with your thoughts in silence for extended periods of time. Um, you know, that's why you hear a lot of swimmers take up meditation and visualization and those kinds of things, because you need to know how to deal with it. And we're only learning about these things now. So I think it's important that we talk about mental health. I, I'm so, I'm, I am happy that uh, bad coaches and bad actors in swimming are getting called out. Yes. Um, I, I think at Cal in particular, I mean, she, Terry, you know, the hero of the sport, you know, somebody we all admired and aspired. Um, and then, um, you know, I am devastated for those swimmers who are on the off list, who developed eating disorders, who developed um, major depression, who, um, you know, self, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, but mm -hmm. I am so proud that they are calling the shit out now. Um, cause it is so important that to understand that, no, this is not good coaching. This is abuse and it has yeah. real impacts, but even in the most supportive, um, environment, uh, you can very easily slip into, um, uh, depression and anxiety and, um, OCD and all of these things. And so like, I think the more athletes in all sports talk about it right and, you know we, the, the joke with swimmers is that we don't we um most of us swim because we can't run because if we could run then we'd just do triathlons um and so <laughs> we get very we we're very jealous of the triathletes because they're like oh man they get to swim and run and bike and all we do is swim like we're not really good at anything else and all these swimmers who are like no i took up uh running afterwards i'm actually really fast at that too and you're like <laughs> my knees hurt there, I have to say we are in the age group too of the most badass competitive athletes ever like the 50 to 54 yeah. year old age group um masters women are just like the so incredibly strong and fast I mean I feel like we like have it over like the the youngsters any any day so but what's key is what we have for breakfast so Lee yes What's your breakfast situation look like? Um, definitely coffee with, uh, with almond milk. Um, usually like three shots of espresso with some, uh, with some almond milk, either steamed or cold, depending on how I'm feeling. Um, it, it's been, it got warm here again. Uh, yes. And then I like, I like protein. I really like protein in the morning. And so I'm a kind of eggs and meat kind of person. Uh, where I can uh, get some eggs together with some meats and some usually leftover meats from the, the night before um, and just like cook all that up and just have a big bowl of like protein. I was never allowed sugary cereals growing up. Yeah. So my mom like, is British. And so breakfast, yeah. so the sugar cereal wasn't really part of our, it was very much a toast. We would have toast and you could have oh, yes, Marmite, which I would not have. Marmite or jam on your toast, not even like a peanut butter situation. It was pretty much toast <laughs> and an egg, toast and yeah. an egg. Yes, yeah, yeah. But that was that was me growing up too. Like there was the we'd go through, I'd go through phases, and I mean like after I because I couldn't eat before morning practice because it's five a.m. Yeah, 
And it's just like, I, I, if I choked anything down, it would be like, oh and gosh, I don't feel so your good. Gut, your gut's like, I'm not ready for that. Yeah. Yeah. But then once you got out of morning practice, like I needed to have like a full on swimmer's breakfast. Like it was, give me eggs, give me bacon, give me toast, give me potatoes, give me coffee, give me juice, <laughs> yeah. give me, you know, like, just like give it, because you were so hungry after the fact. Um. Yeah, but I don't need quite that much breakfast anymore. But I, I do like a good hot coffee and a pile of protein. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big protein person in the, in the morning as well. Yeah. Listen, we've recorded yeah, for an hour. It's also, it's also how your body changes because like, um, yes. like I'm just thinking of my husband where he can't do carbs in the morning anymore because it gives him atrocious heartburn the rest of the day. Ugh. That's sad. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. And and it took him a while, again, this whole listening to your body thing as you age and change and all of that, where he just, like, for a long time was just, like, oh, but I love my whatever carb in the morning. Yeah. Right? Like, oh, I want my croissant. I want my bagel. And then he'd just be like, oh, God, I feel terrible. And then finally, he just had to say, no, I can't do this anymore, right? It's just, I might want it, but my body's like, screw you, buddy. <laughs> yeah, that's, I know. The aging, this aging thing is very weird. I hate it. I love it. Actually, no, because it's fine. It's fine. So, so here's, here's what I've found about aging and my body and part of this is also like my own um my own again neurodivergence is that like i because i have bad proprioception like that you know how there's the saying that you you'll you'll uh nothing tastes as good as thin feels <laughs> that stupid saying um i i literally don't know the difference in my own body like I have been, yeah, I have been, um, you know, no, no, no sort of delineation have been fat. I have been thin. I have been strong. I have been weak. And internally, it feels all the same to me. And it's really weird in that way. Um, and sort of acknowledging that, but also just kind of saying, like, I am proud of what my body can do. Um, yes. Even if I'm not in the best shape, I have, I still have accomplished a lot. I've still done a lot. Um, I'm still here. I'm still breathing. I'm still walking. Um, and, and, you know, if and when I do find a team and find the time to get back in the water, I'm going to be like, you know, my body will remember how to swim freestyle. Heck, it'll probably even remember how to swim butterfly. Um, and I might not be able to go as far and I might not be able to go as fast, but like, it'll still work. Um, yeah. and I'll make sure that it works in a way that's beneficial to me. And I'm more, you know, I'm, I'm more aware of my body. I listen to it more. I'll know if my shoulders hurt in a certain way that I should ease off and that's okay. Um, that, you know, that these are all just. It, it, it's trying, it's, it's taking away those, it's learning how to, as we age, taking away those value judgments of good and bad. Yeah. Right. It just is. And then you just have to think about, well, what am I going to do about this? What does this mean? Yeah. And that, 
as long as you're not hurting yourself, then that's a good decision. Yeah. For me, I have, you know, having never been an athlete until I turned 50, everything now is like a new accomplishment. I am the strongest yeah. I've ever been in my life. I'm the fastest I've ever been in my life. Um, maybe not in the pool, maybe not in the pool, but, um, yeah, but, that's, yeah. yeah. And so for me, it's, you know, it's, um, embracing, embracing, learn, learning this new part that I, uh, new part that I never dreamed I could accomplish these things physically, always having been a very cerebral child, um, and never, never having any confidence in my physical capabilities to now have not just the physical, like the confidence in athletic events, but just general everyday occurrences too. I mean, I think it just, I think that that's, I feel, you know, after everything that has happened to me, I know that I am incredibly strong. And um, yeah. so I think and to me, like I move forward in, as aging, knowing that I, it's not actually a story of, of weakness. It's actually a story of strength, you know, and I'm, I'm going to yeah. be stronger, um, not because I'm going to be necessarily be faster, but because I am smarter and I do know how to listen yes. to my body. Yeah. Yep. And, and to tune out the, the noise. Yeah. Right. Like I, I, I was as fast as a master swimmer swimming way less and training way less than I was when I was 19 and quit the sport. Um, because mm -hmm. I, a, I had really good coaching, um, and taught and I uh, learned how to swim smarter yeah. as opposed to just like mindlessly chugging along in the, in, in the pool where it was like, no, we are here. Yeah. Yeah. We're here for an hour and here's how we maximize that hour. Yeah. Right. Um, and get the most during this hour. Um, yeah. you know, cause we're all busy and we're, and we're old and we probably can't train for two and a half hours anymore. Cause ouch. Um, but that's okay. So let's figure out then the best way to do it. And I think that that's something that I've carried with me as well is that it, it's just like, there's, there are different ways to go about these things. And if you can tune out the noise that tells you, and again, mm -hmm. this is coming to terms with my ADHD as well. If you can tune out the noise that tells you that that's not how you should be doing things and just do things the way that makes sense and, and feel good, then, you know, you'll go a lot further. And I think that that is hard fought wisdom. Yeah. Um, that comes, unfortunately, in most cases with age. Yeah. 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 I mean, and I think that one of the funny things, too, is that there's so little, there's so little research about um, postmenopausal athletes that, like, I think oh, that God, we yeah. are, you know, we are able to tell and crack open new stories now because the the kind of way in which training is designed is for, you know, college age men. Um, and so I think that our mm -hmm. capabilities are really not, re they're not known. And so I think that, you yeah. know, people can say, well, the science says, and the science doesn't know anything. I think that the, I was talking to someone the other day, is I think they're realizing now that a lot of the things that we associated with old age are, was actually more associated with being inactive, you know? And I think that if you're, yeah. if you are able to retain activity and sort of, it's, 
it's not this, again, it's not this story that somehow you turn 30, what, 30, and it's just, you know, downhill from there. God forbid, you know, you hit your 50s. I think that I think that we're gonna I think we're gonna be able to demonstrate um that that uh you can age and continue continue to have strong, joyful movement in your body. So hopefully and, but also like accepting your own limitations. Like everybody's like, Well, you could just get up real early in the morning, you can go <laughs> swim at five thirty and I'm like, Oh, I could, but I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> because Yeah. Exactly. That does not bring me joy. Yeah. Um, no, my body is like, you made me do this all through our teenage years. We yeah. are never doing this again. <laughs> this is a perfect place. Perfect place to end it. Thank you so much, Lee. I love that we can have had this conversation and move through all of these topics together. Technology, teaching, coaching, swimming, flip turns, aging, protein for breakfast. Um, I used to be able to say to people, you know, you could point to people's Twitter handle and perhaps you know Lee from at Ready Writing on um, the social media formerly known as Twitter, but you can still find her on her blog, of course, because she has her own domain at readywriting.org. Thank you so much, Lee. Thank you, listeners. And we'll see you next time on the Second Breakfast Podcast. Mm-hmm.